Father, this morning, I have seen from the beginning of our time together that you are here. Lord, I know the reality of that is that we brought you with us when we came. Lord, as we assembled, you caused us to become that tabernacle of praise, that house built together of living stones, one joined to another. And even though we don't know each other intimately, all of us, you found a way to glorify yourself through us as one spiritual habitation this morning. And you announced it, that your glory is here. Lord, we want to stay in that. We want your presence to guide us through our conversation now in your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will bring the revelation that's necessary that will lead us to transformation. Lord, we don't want to just have another week of pat on the back and step out into the world defenseless. We need you to break through upon our hearts and our spirit, man, and bring understanding that we don't have yet. Another glimpse into your kingdom that's coming and your will that's being done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, we yield to you together as a unit, as a body, and thank you for what you're about to do in us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I've, I've enjoyed this for some time now, being able to say, the Jesus in me greets the Jesus in you. And there's no requirement on your part to respond to that, except to just say, yes, amen, Jesus is in me. We need to acknowledge the truth of the indwelling God who decided to take up residence. In the Old Testament, we see God depicted over and over in his revelation of himself. He comes as what we might say visitational, where the anointing would come on a prophet and the prophet would speak, or an anointing would be on a king for leadership, or even a mother who needed to perform something to develop the kingdom of God in the Old Testament. And then we would see the spirit of God rest upon them. Maybe one of the most famous would be Samson. He would get up and shout, and the strength of the Holy Spirit in his life, would, he would dominate. And then the Spirit would lift. Visitational. Once Jesus came out of the tomb and Acts chapter 2 occurred, and we've been going through the book of Acts together as a church, the Holy Spirit came and said, now I'm going to be residential, not visitational. I'm going to be residential. I'm moving in. Jesus said if we would listen to that knock on the door of our heart that he would come and indwell us. It's no longer he comes, sits on, and goes away. And we wonder if he's there. Um, appreciated these young people this morning immensely. Uh, Pastor Rob, I think I did the pizza run for Brian. <laughs> Twelve years ago or something. I, I know I have a picture of me in the back of my van with a knife this big cutting pizza, but you couldn't see the pizzas. All you could see is me, the knife, and the youth. Uh, this is, welcome to Planet Wisdom. Uh, but I heard the youth crying out that God knows me intimately, and he loves me, and I'm important. And even if my parents don't think I am, I know God knows I am, and he built me. 
Thank you, Jesse, for leading them into that revelation. Amen. They are. I'm going to get to this book in a moment, but I, as these young people were giving their testimonies, I'm going to share a little bit about this book this morning. It's called The Life Model, Living from the Heart Jesus Gave You. I'm going to use this one, too. It's okay. Don't get scared. <laughs> the Bible's in there, too. One of the authors of this book, Ann Beerling, <clears throat> this is a quick paragraph about her life, says three professional experiences punctuated a truth for Ann. When she was the assistant principal and spiritual director at a Christian high school, she was invited to participate in a national task force studying how students grow in their faith. The results of the study concluded that a student's faith is most impacted by being in an authentic relationship with a godly teacher, coach, parent, or adult. Two years later, when she joined the staff of this counseling ministry, she learned that 25 years of clinical experience with wounded clients had led them to conclude that people heal. People heal in authentic, God-centered relationships and families. And people without these resources recovered much more slowly, if at all. Two years later, when she was asked to participate on a leadership team led by a national church consultant, she learned that people come to the Lord most readily in fulfilling Christian relationships. Thus, there's a need for everything from the parking lot design to the adult Sunday school classes to cultivate the formation of authentic relationships. And I highlighted this bottom one. It says, three professional experiences, one striking conclusion. Students grow in their faith through relationships. That's number one. And I saw that this morning again. You know what? They, they don't always listen to us. That's not their job yet. You know, they're, they're supposed to question adulthood and kind of come against it and push on us. And that's what parents just don't like the most. Like, yeah. why doesn't he listen to me? Well, his brain's forming. He doesn't know how. I mean, we got a list. We can tell you why. But what happens is that they begin to unite in peer group levels and challenge one another to grow in Christ. And these guys are doing that. You know, I look up here and I see myself a lot of years ago. Challenge running off to these events and coming back going, God loves me. That's all I could get out of it. But it was enough to keep me moving. Students grow in their faith through relationships. Wounded people heal in relationships. And unbelievers come to the Lord through relationships. They say that 80% of people that are involved in the church today came because somebody invited them into a relationship with Christ alongside of them. That means only 20% of it's happening by standing on a street corner and yelling at strangers. I mean, that does work, and it can't happen. A lot of it going on in Santa Monica today, probably. But relationships are what fuse us into a life with Christ. So do I have it or I don't? Okay, she has, she's my, I click her and she clicks that. Thank you for your help. What's that? Yeah, this is our pride. If you don't know me, I'm Jeff. Peggy's vacant this morning. 
uh, from here anyway. And this is our pride. I use that word purposefully in the sense of a lion pride, not in our proudness. But there's 11 grandchildren up there. We've had them all in one place at one time, so we took a picture of it. We don't know when that'll happen again. And that's our pride. And the reason I use the word pride, like the lion pride, is that lions are one of the only animals that lives in community. And that's what the next slides will tell us, is what I'm trying to talk about here this morning. Click. How do I do that? There we go. And I, I apologize. It may have lost some stuff in transition and being loaded or something, but you probably have to click like crazy to get things to work. So go again. Yeah, this is what we're talking about this morning, why community is important. Um, go ahead and click again. I'm, I need a rearview mirror. There it is. Okay. I, I, I have a rearview mirror. Um, one of my recent favorite books is this one, and I actually have it here with me. When the Church Was a Family. It's written by Joseph Hellerman. He's a professor of New Testament at Biola Talbot School of Theology. Now, this author, this author is a guy that I'd like to have breakfast with all day <laughs> and just pick his brain. I'm actually lining up on doing that if I can. He's in Long Beach. He teaches at the church he attends is in Long Beach, but he's, he teaches at Biola, so he's close enough to get to. So maybe we can sneak off sometime and find this guy. Spend a little time picking his brain. He pens a sentence at the very beginning of this book. I mean, the first sentence. You know how that's important when you're an author, how you launch that book? You know, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, that sort of thing. This is the first sentence in his book. Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. I, I tend to believe that all positive change happens in the context of community. A lot of negative change happens in the context of community as well. But that's not our focus this morning. I want to talk about being in community and how that's the place where spiritual formation takes its root. Some of the comments from the beginning of this, this introduction in his book are things like, People who stay grow. People who leave do not grow. Now remember, I'm not talking about a church building this morning. I'm not talking about attendance on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about dwelling together with others in community. I like the word community if you break it out to that, that two phrase of common unity. You know, there's something that we rally around that brings that unity and we have it in common. For us, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? As, uh, my sister leaned over and said to me here the, when the kids said, kept referring to their imperfections. She leaned over and says, yeah, but we know somebody who is perfect, don't we? And that's our common unity is around the cross and the, the death, the burial, the resurrection and the salvation that comes through God himself in Jesus Christ. That's why we rally. That's why we're here. He goes on to say, it's a simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we don't grow much at all. He gives the picture, one that you've probably heard before and I know I've used, is that if you take a, a plant, it's about that time, isn't it? Start planting, almost. 
I know some of you are cautious about that Memorial Day weekend and the last freeze of the season on Mother's Day. But uh, if we plant those plants and then we go out the next day and look at them and say, well, I don't see much growth, so I'm going to pull it up and put it over here. I'll try this little spot in my garden. Well, a week later it starts to sprout and go, oh, I bet it would do better over here in the sun. And we pick, pluck it. How long will that plant last? Yeah, yeah. We know that just simply, don't we? And it's the same way with people that are come into a community that once they feel a little friction, and our culture is a little bit responsible for this. We'll come to that in a moment. But they feel a little friction about relationship and they, they, they bolt. They pluck themselves up by the roots and they run to find another group and they plant. They go, this is better, this is better for a while. And then friction comes again, returns, and whoo, they jump up and they run. So that, that transplantation process that goes on and on and on in people who don't stay, don't grow. They never develop roots. If you can't develop roots, you don't ever get fruit. That's for sure. And so these are things that, and one of the things I like about Hellerman is that this entire book is dedicated to that process of, of understanding how that our culture pushes us to stay separate, to be independent. In fact, he, he lists in there the, the, the evidence that's come for sociologists, those that study people groups, have a term in, a term that they use for Americans, for Western society. They call us radical individualism. I mean, if you're going to read a book on cultures and sociology, we're going to be listed as radical individualists, radical individualism. It is all about me. We live in an extremely narcissistic culture. And everything around us promotes that. That's why it's Hard to even, when I tell you that, you might shake your head and go, yeah, but I like it. <laughs> I mean, if I go to Starbucks and they don't get it right, they do it over. All right? Because it's all about me. Have it your way. If it's not perfect, we'll do it over. How many of you have ever taken one back and got it done? Second time, yeah? That's why I don't go to drive throughs because I'm three blocks away when I find out. <laughs> And I usually don't have time to go back, so whatever I got is what I'm going to use. So you learn to figure out that you're drinking something you didn't order, and some other guys in another car going the other direction going, what is this? Let's go to the next one, please. This is a, another author that I've, I've appreciated lately, and the one I read that small paragraph from, this one doesn't look like that. This is the 15th anniversary version. If you're interested when we're done, I'm not, well, not promoting, but I did just order 10 copies of this book because I thought somebody might be interested in it. So it'll be available in a week. Dr. Jim Wilder is an author that I have had lunch with. Not all day, just lunch in Pasadena. And I went to have lunch with him on the day that they released this book, Joy Starts Here, which is a, a second coming out of the Life Model book, and it's called the Life Model book as well. In the Life Model, Dr. Wilder states and, uh, that this spiritual formation that Hellerman refers to, spiritual formation, occurs 
primarily in the context of community. Wilder defines that spiritual maturity this way. Receiving and giving life. There's four points, and you'll get them again here in a minute. Receiving and giving life. Reaching a higher level of maturity. Receiving healing for life's inevitable traumas. And having your life governed by the joy of the Lord. And he adds, this this process does not happen in isolation. It takes a family and it takes a community. Remember when we discussed that as a nation? What does it take to raise a child? A village. A village. <laughs> Yay. I'm not going to get lost in that conversation, but the truth is it takes both. It takes a family to raise a child and it takes a community to raise a child. And when you think of that in spiritual terms, we all come to Christ for infants. It doesn't matter how old we are. And I know right now some people in this community that are in their 40s and they're babies, right? They've just come to Christ and they're like goofy as can be. They're like, woohoo, and there's a great big body and this wholly developed life and a, got a house, they drive cars, but they're idiots. <laughs> I mean, they're like, whoa, I'm saved. You know, they're just like, I don't know anything, but I'm supposed to. <laughs> and they're infants. They're infants, and it's exciting to spend time with them because they're just ooey-gooey about Jesus, and they're, they're falling in love. They've met their Heavenly Father for the first time, and they're goofy. Were you ever goofy? Yeah. So, now, there's another author I've read. I have three authors this morning. Maybe we can go to the next slide and see if it actually works or not. Oh, you know what? Yeah. Well, we can buzz right through this. These are the four points that I just mentioned. Receiving and giving life. Now, let me, let me just use an illustration. The people that were on this platform this morning helping us with the music and leading us, they have an interesting dynamic going on in what they're doing because they have the opportunity to help give life, Right? And, and toward us, take their strengths, their talents, their gifts, and pour out in our direction by giving us their skill and their attunedness to Christ and the Holy Spirit. And so they're in a place where they're giving something out. But they're also in a place of receiving at the exact same time, right? Here, isn't that how it works? It's an amazing process that you could be giving and receiving all at once. But we need to be in places where we can give life to others. And we also have to be at a place where we're receiving. If you think of Paul and Timothy and Barnabas, you know, Barnabas got Paul going. And, and then Paul turned and in turn gave Timothy opportunity, right? In discipleship and maturity, they processed life together. Paul always had Barnabas to look up to, and he also had Timothy to lead. It's discipleship. It's spiritual formation that happens in the context of community, living it out together. The church in America has been focused for years on trying to bring Christianity to the body of Christ through cognitive learning, just by learning more. Here, If you get more information, you'll be better. But information doesn't lead to transformation. Revelation brings transformation. You need the information. Don't get lost here. You need the information. Here's the information. If you read it and the Holy Spirit brings it to life and brings revelation into it, you go, oh, one of those aha moments then transformation takes place. And tomorrow you live differently than you did the day before because your life is altered 
by revelation. But the church has been stuck on informational, cognitive processing of discipleship for years. And I'm not going to spend much time there. These things, we receive and give life. We reach higher levels of maturity. We receive healing for life's inevitable traumas. And I put in the parentheses sin and more because sin is a trauma. It's an impact on who you are. It fractures you. When the world attacks you and you're broken by the world and you begin to maybe line yourself with that brokenness and live out a certain thing that the world has to offer, you're living in a trauma and it's over and over and over every day and you don't break free from it. So one of the things about maturity is getting free and getting healed from the traumatic events in our lives. Others have had very, very other massive traumatic things for me rather than pick on any of you. You know, at the age of five, my dad was becoming out, he was an alcoholic and he was becoming abusive. And he was, he was hurting my mother, but I'm a five-year-old. What do I know? It's not happening in front of me. But it's affecting my entire family. And within the next two years, my mom will pack up four boys and leave him to raise us on her own. And she did really well at it. But my life was impacted by fatherlessness. Now I teach fathering classes. What does that show you? Shows you that, I don't know. What does it show you? <laughs> I'm still trying to find out myself. <laughs> what it shows is that often how our life is impacted by trauma and we come to healing and then God uses the wounded to heal others. It's an interesting process. So I get to sit with dads once a week and talk about fathering. And I learn more from them than they learn from me. Because they tell me about their experiences. Their dad taking them hunting and climbing through the woods and getting muddy and dirty. And I go, I never did any of those things. I still don't know how to fish. And I've lived next to this lake for over 40 years. People go, really? You live in Big Bear? And you don't fish? No. And I don't go on boats and I don't play in the water. This is crazy. Why? Mostly because I was fatherless. But I can bake a mean cake. (laughs) Raised in a single mother home. I can build you a salad. I can feed you. (laughs) Having your life governed by the joy of the Lord and that, my friends, whether you get it or not, I can tell you that that is a week-long conversation. Just that one sentence. And I would love to have it with you. And that's not a pitch for another Sunday. I'm just saying that having the joy of the Lord. And when you read the scriptures and you say, the joy of the Lord is my strength, in your presence is fullness of joy. And you begin to understand that the formation of your brain between zero and three years old happens mostly when when something like this goes on. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Eye contact, a smile, and a vision of saying, you're important to me. Parents give that to their kids. Kids are set up for life to live in the joy of knowing they're appreciated. What did we hear from a dozen kids this morning? Didn't feel appreciated. There's brokenness there. There's a need for community there. There's a need for us as adults. You know, I got the tissue out early because I always cry when I preach. Because it means something to me. When an adult will take on a young person and say to them, as I would to this one walking here, I'll take advantage. 
<laughs> this guy is so important to me. I don't get to spend any time with him, hardly ever at all. But I'm watching him grow, and I listen to him speak, and I go, that's not the same guy I knew five years ago. You're powerful. You're growing. They, they need to know we love them, and they need to know we care about them, and they need to be the gleam in somebody's eye. And that's what living in community is about, is being able to see people. And that's what fosters joy. I mean, we could, when I say it's a week-long conversation, I've probably said these things before here, but you have an area in your head. It's called the right orbital prefrontal cortex. Repeat that. (laughs) If you can do that one, then I want to hear you. This is another one. I want to hear you say Irish wristwatch twice out loud. Go ahead, try it. Try it. Just take a break. Irish wristwatch twice out loud. <laughs> None of you got it, did you? Oh, man. That's a hilarious one, isn't it? Irish wristwatch. You can't, I can't, I can't do it. So that area of your brain is that right prefrontal orbital cortex is the place your brain creates joy. It's the only part of the brain that continues to grow throughout your entire lifetime. And it is one part of the brain that can be rewired continuously. So if you didn't get that, I think I'm in love with you moment when you were a kid, you can still get it. If you'll live in community with others and people will begin to appreciate you and go, you are so important to me. Okay, I'm, I'm slowing down here. I'm lost. This, I think I got lost in that moment of realizing how important it is for the older ones in the body of Christ to stimulate the younger ones and tell them, you know what? You so remind me of me, which is why I don't spend any time with you. (laughs) But I do appreciate you. And I know you're growing. And when you become an adult, I'm going to be so glad. (laughs) And they give us their stuff right back, right? (laughs) What do you know? Yeah, we don't know anything. Our brains aren't fully developed until we're 25. So you're dealing with a brainless wonder. This is the other author I, I spend breakfast, lunch, and dinner with. And hopefully so do you. The other author. So I've got three. Hellerman. This is written by five people. Can you imagine that? Five people in one book. That's only that little. Pretty smart folks, too. And this author, you can have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with this author any day you want. You know, and his word just confirms the things that we're talking about. The Bible's clear that spiritual formation and maturity are outcomes that we all have to work at. Matthew 5.48, Jesus said, You shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Have you ever struggled with that thought? Yeah. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And I don't think I asked them to put up a slide for this, so. Is there? Oh, the list is there. Good. I'll read this for you. 413. Actually, this is one of those passages where you keep backing up to know where to start. You end up at the very beginning of chapter 4, but I won't nail you with all of it. Because if I was to read this the way I see it now, 
in the, in the issue of context of community and life with the body of Christ, you'd have to read all of four and five to hear it again differently. But I'll start in here where it says, he who ascended is also the one who, uh, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above the, all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Until when? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. Whoa, perfect to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, talking about maturity, growing up, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Again, maturity, spiritual formation, (laughs) growth. Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, We need the young, we need the middle, we need the old. Every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. That's what causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. A lot of words there, and it could continue. But included there is this idea of becoming perfect. In John 2... There's that discussion that he has about uh, children, you need to do this, and young men, you need to do this, and fathers, you need to do this. And he goes back over it again. He said, then children, you need, you need to do this, and young men, you need to do this, and fathers. And what you see there, gosh, there's so much in this, I'm sorry. My mind just goes, runs off all by itself, and I don't know how to get it back sometimes. You, have, you see the three stages of maturity. Young children, young men, fathers. And in that passage, he says you need to be perfect. Well, the word is telos in the Greek that Jesus used when he said, you'll be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. That is a tall order. Paul says, we're going to do this and we're going to have leadership in the body of Christ until we become perfect and we come to the unity of the faith. John says, keep acting on these things, children, young people, and men, until you're perfect. Perfect. That which has reached an end, something that's finished, complete, perfect. Consummate soundness, wholeness, and maturity. It doesn't mean you're done. It just means you've arrived at a place where you have some wholeness to your life. Where there's some maturity in place that others can lean into and depend on. Not that you're perfect. And I heard these young people say that. Well, I guess I'm not perfect. I thought I was, but the Lord, I'm not. And, but Jesus is. And he lives in me. And therefore I have hope. Paul wrote into the Philippians in chapter 3. He said, brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature, our present day, we're there. All of us, he's talking about himself, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. That level of maturity you've come to, you need to hang on to. You need to keep processing it. You need to keep living in it. 
So all three of these sources, when I read them, are coming together for me at this point in my life, and it's starting to stir something that I really want. I've wanted Jesus for a long time. I pursued him with most of my life from the age of these young people until now, which is... (laughs) Yeah, that long? All three of these sources are in agreement, and they tell us that becoming spiritually mature is a journey. It's a process that occurs over a lifetime, not a weekend, although the weekends are important. I keep pointing at those young guys back there because they were in the weekend. It's a process that lasts a lifetime, not a weekend, not a month, not a year. We're in this for the long haul. You ever get frustrated that something didn't happen last week with your spiritual life? It takes longer. The good news is you have more time. The bad news time, it's going pretty slow. And we cannot achieve God's desired results. This is really what I would love to to get this morning. We can't achieve God's desired results in our lives without others. And that's a slap in the face of our culture. We have to be intimately connected to somebody else, not just one or two. Talking about a family of people, a group of people, a community. In these things, there's still hope. Paul wrote Philippians chapter 1, being confident of this one thing, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It will come to pass. You will grow up. You can be unstuck. The process doesn't happen in isolation. Let's just click through a couple of slides here and see if I can get beyond myself here. The process doesn't happen in isolation. It takes a family. It takes a community. Again, the four points, receiving a given life, receiving a higher level of maturity, reaching a higher level of maturity, receiving healing. That's, a, that's, that's one where you need some safety. You need somebody around you that really cares about you. Right? Not somebody that will exploit you for your brokenness. And getting back to the joy of the Lord. Let's click ahead. By the way, Jim Wilder says of himself that he's a neurotheologian, which means he studies brain science in the Bible and watches them come together. I like brain science stuff. I don't know much about it. I'm a neophyte in that, in that department, but it, I'm infatuated by brain science. I like knowing where the right prefrontal orbital cortex is and that it continues to grow and that one of the ways of making it grow is just by saying, hey, it's good to see you. And I could say that to Shan because we've been together for a long time. And to get to see each other and your eyes light up. Somebody says, you're the, you're the sparkle in my eye. Doesn't that just do something for you? You know what's happening when somebody looks at you and does that? And I share this all the time is that there's an exchange that if the other person looks back at you and says, yeah, I love you too. Six times a second. There's a reciprocal process going between your eyes that's building up the right orbital prefrontal cortex of your brain. (laughs) You should do it more often. (laughs) Try it with people. Try just smiling. (laughs) (laughs) We should have a recording of that, Bev. That was good. (laughs) 
It doesn't happen in isolation. You can't do it in the mirror. It doesn't work. The mirror doesn't transmit six times a second. It takes another person. Oh, go ahead. Look at somebody just for a second. Smile. Just smile. You don't have to go six, seconds, six times a second on them. Just <laughs> smile at somebody. Now, so for some of you, it just makes giddy. For others, it makes joy. I like this picture. I just like this picture, so I put it up there. It's a bunch of people coming together to form this one giant man. Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. You want to be big and strong? Get together with other people. Another slide? I'm kind of waiting to see what I have up here. Okay. This is the crux of it, and this is a whole message in itself. And I know, quick, look at your watch. Check the time. It's 11.11. That means I have, what, four minutes? Okay. Four minutes. Let me just, let me just throw this out there for four minutes worth. How many of you know what the word on the right is? Ecclesia or ecclesia, however you like to say it. Anybody know what that means? It's in Greek. Good. <laughs> Let's go to the other side. Oikos. It's another Greek word. How many of you know what that means? Yeah. <laughs> David is how you were going to say yogurt. No, okay. Greek yogurt. Greek yogurt. Fat free, probably. I don't even like that stuff. Oh. How many of you like oikos yogurt and fat free? What's the point of fat free? It's kind of like decaf. <laughs> okay. Ecclesia, ecclesia, if you prefer means church. That's the New Testament word for church. Keep in mind that the entire New Testament, all the writings of the New Testament, were written prior to the existence of any buildings. Every letter that's written to the church is written to a home meeting, written to a house church, written to a group of churches in an area, you know, like Galatia. So all the letters are written to people meeting together at homes. And if we, we have time because we're going through the book of Acts. And I, one of the things I'd hope you'd come out of this, if you're going to stay with the congregation here and go through the book of Acts together, that you'll put on a new pair of glasses, a new pair of lenses, and say, I want to look at, the, old, at the, the accounts of the book of Acts with these lenses. I want to be able to say, are they living together in community? How just just watch the book of Acts unfold and you'll see where they're always in groups and they're always hanging out together and they're always going back home to the prayer meetings and Peter's getting out of jail in Acts chapter 11 and he's going to the home where everybody's praying for him to be released because he knows they're there and he knows they're praying. It's a little life group. Oikos is a family unit. And you find that in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, a great depiction of Cornelius getting everybody together to hear Peter come tell them about the good news of Jesus. And he gets together his family, his servants, and his relatives and his friends. And when Peter arrives, they're all there in the house. It's his oikos. Oikos is defined by those people that you spend more than one hour a week with and you have influence in their life. Kids, families, wives, husbands, aunts, uncles, mothers, neighbors, workmates, that's your oikos. You can't know everybody, but you can know all of them. And you're good, according to Dunbar, up to about 60 people. That's just a free point. You can jot that down. You can, look, you can search Dunbar later and figure it out. In the larger group, that's the community, ecclesia, the church, 
This is like a room full of us right now. This is the body of Christ, the church. In that atmosphere is where you receive life. Let me ask, did you receive something from the Holy Spirit during the singing this morning? Did you sense a connection with him? Did you find an inspirational moment? Did he speak a word to you? Again, I had, we had our little thing going on in the corner over here. My sister, I don't even think I've met you. But she said, the Lord spoke to me. He said that his name is a strong tower and we can run into him and be safe. And I thought, that's Proverbs 18.10. right out of the Bible. The Lord spoke that to her. She shared it with me. I'm strengthened by that. Now I share it with you. We're receiving life in the large community. You receive life in the large community. And you got something here this morning that you can't get at home by yourself. Okay, I'm just going to lay it down like that. We don't get, I was singing over there. I thought, man, I don't, sing, I don't get to sing like this by myself. It's great. By the way, she has a great voice. I enjoyed that. Every now and then I'd be quiet and just sort of step back. Oh, this is great. You should be up front. We receive life in the large group. It takes a community. In the large group, we experience God together. We find acceptance Even though you don't know those young people's names that shared this morning, did you accept them? Did you want to say out to them, yeah, we love you too. Hey, we're proud of you. What was your name? (laughs) Right? Zach, Zach, and Zach. (laughs) That part we got. Uh, But if we change around like three peas in the pod, we still win. We find acceptance in the large group. We also find balance. If you get goofy on us and start going after some weird doctrine, we're going to know about it. Because you're going to look weird and be weird and act weird and do funny things. And somebody's going to tackle you. Say, we need to chat. We're not going to throw you out, but we do need to harness this energy of yours and give it a new direction. We're going to find balance. That's also... When you get a hold of somebody tells you something, you go, is that true? Is that the Bible say that? You can come back to the large group and say, hey, this is what I heard. And the large group goes, boo, bad idea. Don't follow that. And you get balance. And you get to contribute to a community. We ask that everybody finds a place of service in the body of Christ. We should serve others. It doesn't mean you get to take up the offering or do the youth group or sweep the parking lot. Here, it means you get to contribute into the larger body of Christ in some way. Right? You get to help somebody move something or help them fix their car. Or There's lots of ways. Over here in the smaller group, the Oikos, the family-centered group, we can really get to give life. Because we're in a small, that's like Jesus and the 12. Big meeting's over, thousands have gone home. They've got the loaves and the fishes all collected up in baskets. They're surprised by the miracle. Hey, we started with two. What do you got? I got a whole basket left. In fact, we have 12 baskets. You think that's significant that there's 12 baskets and there's 12 of us? Uh, Maybe he's trying to tell us something, probably. Okay, let's see if we can learn it. They get together with Jesus and they begin to dialogue in the intimate setting and they get to give life to each other in that setting. If those of you that are in a life group, you know this happens. may not always fit your style, but life happens between people. It does take a family. It takes a community and it takes a family. In the family, you get to live from your heart. People get to know you. You get to love one another. I can't love one another here. I can't love everybody here this morning in the sense of intimate love. Really? Agape-type godly love. I can't do it with everybody. But you get me in a living room with another 10 or 12 people, I can do it there, right? 
you really do learn how to love people. <laughs> you learn how to bear with one another's problems. You learn how to forgive one another. You get to do all the one another scriptures. Love one another is the top one. We like that. But when it says forgive one another, we go, ooh, that means I had to be close enough for you to hack me off. Yeah? Now I have to forgive you. I don't like that part. Bear one another's burdens. We get to belong. We belong to a family, but we contribute to a community. Are you seeing the two? Just a simple comparison. So that's it. It has to be it. That was actually eight minutes. That was four minutes and eight. Not bad. Next time I'll try and do eight minutes and four. Right, so this is, this is what's on my mind. This is what's in my heart. I, I think that what we're seeing here is there's a process, there's a method for achieving the biblical reality of becoming mature. Teleos, complete, functional. I think there's a place here where we're, we can experience being forgiven, receiving healing and reaching maturity, and it comes from both feeds. It's also a place where there's a, a hard job that we have to accomplish, growing into maturity, being healed, finding healing, you know, getting forgiven, all these things, growing up. It's a hard job. But the truth is we don't have to do it alone. Bet you a dollar that little one's not going to do it by herself. <laughs> right? That little Remy is going to be totally smothered with love and care and brothers and sisters and moms and dads and uncles and aunts and that family's huge. She doesn't have a chance of getting away before somebody tackles her. She, does, she has a really hard job, but she doesn't have to do it alone. My point exactly. And all we have to do is get a new pair of glasses, get a new pair of lenses that says, I'm going to look at the scriptures again, not the way my culture tells me to interpret the Bible, but the way the Bible interprets itself. Not the way my culture says, be independent, be alone, be a radical individualist. It's all about you growing in Christ all by yourself in a closet, looking in the mirror, trying to get six times a second in joy, and it's not working. You've got to plunge yourself into a group of people that says, I'm going to commonly invest my life with others to find maturity. And I'm going to get healed. And I'm going to grow up in Jesus. And one day I'll be the mature one that's going to lead others into maturity. The cycle continues. Amen. So let me ask you two questions and then I'm going to pray. You might jot them down. I didn't put them up here, but they came to mind. On a, on a message like this, I ask myself, is there something that is more true than what I've believed? Is there something more true than what I've believed? If I've believed up to this point, for example that being an individual is the most important and satisfying myself is the most important and me growing up in Christ all by myself is most important, should I challenge that thought? Is there something that's more true than what I believe? And then knowing what we know, what will we do with it? Father, I pray that you will give us guidance in learning how to dwell together in community, that you'll show us how we can reach these degrees of maturity in these processes together rather than separate. That you will plant us solidly in the ecclesia, the church of the living God out 
throughout this community, but that you would also affix us to an oikos, a group that's life-giving, where we can be intimate, share one another's burdens, love one another, so fulfill the law of Christ, and grow up into the head. Bring us to the biblical reality of maturity. Help us see that we may not be participating fully, and because of that, we have a lack. And I ask that you would move us into biblical solutions. Give us the courage to say no to my own way, and the courage to say yes to your design. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And that's how you stretch four minutes into about 12. Bless you. Thank you, Pastor Rob.